to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello and welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And today we have a very special guest, an entrepreneur, a business owner, a, an author, uh, Ken Moskovich, all the way from the uh, United States. Where, where in the United States are you now, Ken? I live in Phoenix, Arizona now um, for the last 27 years. So I'm kind of a native to Phoenix, I guess, at this point, not a native New Yorker. Well, I, I just want to say, like, we, we noticed you around uh, uh, online uh, with your story about how you, you grew a family uh, in a very significant size and how you've also accomplished some, some quite interesting feats of, of success in the business world. That's really the topic of what we are doing this, in, in, these days in, in this season of Generous Marriage. So do you mind sharing with us a little bit about who you are, Ken, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Well, I'll give you the brief version. I was born in New York. I'm a creative guy at heart and have spent my entire career in the creative industry. And I've always had entrepreneurial tendencies, but I didn't really consider myself an entrepreneur. I'm more of an artist with entrepreneurial tendencies. And so I've started and built multiple businesses over many years, but I finally walked away from the corporate world in 2010, 2011, early 2011, and started fully diving into my own businesses and have, again, built multiple businesses and really have grown my family and my businesses in parallel. Unintentionally, of course, you know, I, I honestly never wanted to be a parent when I first got married, and I'll explain all of that in a little bit. But it, it really, they, they grew in parallel and that required a lot of juggling and a lot of balancing and figuring things out and a lot of tears and a lot of joy. And, you know, it's a whole megillah of stuff that happens together, but that's really the short version of it. How's that for a, a brief explanation? So let, let's go deeper into the family <laughs> side of things, because I think that really like, uh, makes you unique because I, I find your generosity to be, uh, something that is worth uh, talking about and, and just realizing. So tell, 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 tell us uh, a little bit about your family. So my wife and I have um, five kids in total. And uh, today our oldest is 21 and our youngest is 11. So this, it, there's a 10-year span from youngest to oldest for those that suck at math. And we started out with our oldest, Carter, born in 99. And then we had Mason a couple of years after that. And then we couldn't have more kids. My wife had some problems and she had to have a hysterectomy. And, you know, that was a pretty emotional time, but she always wanted a big family. And one night we were lying in bed watching TV and on our local NBC news affiliate, there was a, a feature that they ran every Wednesday called Wednesday's Child. And it was a story about a kid living in the foster care system that needed a forever home. And I said, you know, we could do that. We could become foster parents. Like, why don't we look at that? And she really wasn't pushing for that. I just thought about it. And I said, and because I'm an idea guy that just takes action very quickly, I said, let's do this. We should investigate. And it took us a full year to get licensed, but we became licensed foster parents. We fostered over the years, 19 children and wound up adopting three of them. And so our second placement ever 
is my oldest daughter, Sydney, who is now 15. She was just a teeny tiny premature little baby when we got her, but um, she's now 15 years old and in high school. And, um, and then we have Josie and Owen, 12 and 11, actually 13 almost, but 12 and 11. Wow, I have uh, tears in my eyes. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to ask because I'm so uh, touched. So you got her as a tiny baby, her or him? I'm sorry, I, I missed that. Part. Her, yeah. So she was she was a preemie and, um, and she, you know, she was so small. Like when she was born, she was like no bigger than a soda can. She was so tiny. Like, I mean, she was like, you could just hold her in your hand, but she was, she was this tiny little thing. And now she's this beautiful young woman and she's just a remarkable kid. Wow. And you said earlier that you didn't want kids when you got married and you I ended didn't. up having five kids, adopting three, fostering 19 yeah. So I didn't want kids because I didn't have the ideal childhood. And, you know, and I don't need to get into the the laundry list of how my what my childhood looked like, but I didn't have what, you know, the leave it to beaver Brady Bunch childhood. It was a pretty angry, not pleasant upbringing. And so for me, I didn't want to have that experience as a parent. I didn't want my kids to go through what I went through. And so I just, kids were not a thing I wanted. And when I got married, you know, knowing that Allison wanted kids, we, we had to work through that. We went through some therapy together. I went through a lot of therapy, deep therapy to try to work through my issues. But my in-laws really helped me a lot because they knew that because I had such a high level of awareness about what I went through and what I experienced, and because I was so aware of it, that they weren't concerned that that was going to happen to my kids. And so between them and my wife and therapy, I was able to overcome that. And we had our first kid and then we had another, and then we just started collecting them. <laughs> I, I wonder, uh, so I, I just wonder about like the, 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 the foster kid uh, situation and especially you know, 19 times, then one of the things that might happen is that you say goodbye. Oh. Uh, and can you talk a little bit about? Yeah, I can that. talk about that there. So we had this one baby that came to us. We just called her baby G and baby G, her parents were in the United States illegally and they had some drug and alcohol problems. And so she came to us with a few challenges that that typical kids don't have. And G was with us for 18 months. And we, we thought that we were going to wind up adopting her. And now they never told us we were going to adopt her, but because, and I, and I don't want to sound negative, but Oftentimes, people that are struggling with drugs and alcohol that are going through mandated counseling and um, state-appointed counselors, they, they don't really make have a great success rate. And so we weren't counting against them. We weren't hoping that they would fail as parents. We actually hoped for quite the opposite. We were hoping that they would go through their therapy and get her back. But we didn't know because we were never told this stuff. So since she was with us for so long, 18 months, we thought... Surely they're going to say to us, would you like to adopt her? Well, we got a call one day. My kids were in school and uh, we got a call from the social worker that her parents had completed their mandated treatment and clean and they've earned the right to have her back. And they're taking her and placing her back with her biological parents, which is awesome. 
for them. It was terrible for us. And uh, the social worker wanted to pick her up while my kids, my other kids were in school. And like, that's, there's no closure for them otherwise. And my wife said, absolutely not. You cannot get her until my kids are home because they need to say goodbye to her. And there she was, and I'm getting emotional because I could still feel the sting of that day. And she was sitting, uh, she was waiting on the driveway for my kids to get home from school so that they could say goodbye to baby G. And she took baby G and she looked at my wife and she says, I don't know what the big deal is. She's part of our family. She's been with us for 18 months. You know, you heartless caseworker. And I understand where that heartlessness comes from. It's not intentional. It's a product of the system that they're working in. It's a product of the stark reality of of being a caseworker in the foster care system. So I don't fault her for being cold hearted. That happened because of the job that she's in and, and just the thankless job that she's in. But my kids were devastated. And after that, I was done. I'm like, we're not doing this foster care crap anymore. This is bullshit. These kids deserve better. And, and, and look at what it's done to our family. And my oldest son, Carter, said to mom, but mom, isn't that a good thing? She got to go back to her parents. Like there are other kids that we can help. And I'm like, oh, sucker. And so we did it again and we did it again. And, you know, we wound up with three. Wow. Wow. That's very brave. I have to tell you, like, this is not the type of decisions that are easy to make. And I bet that you had to be very aligned, you and your wife, to be able to go through this emotional roller coaster oh. and just the commitment, you know, waking up in the night and diapers and, and the, like raising kids, that's a, that's more than a full-time yeah, job. Yeah, it is. It's, it, uh, it was challenging, but, you know, we had some agreements early on and those agreements, I think that's something that in a, in a marriage, in a healthy marriage, you have conversations about all sorts of stuff. And so, you know, we both came from families where our parents were divorced when we, you know, when for me, when I was young, for her, when she was older. And so before we even got married, we had a very, you know, sat, we sat down and had a really deep discussion about, okay, what are the deal killers for us when we get married? Like, what are the absolute, this will destroy our marriage conversation? And so we had that conversation early on. But then once we started fostering, one of the conversations we had was, okay, what are our roles? How are we going to navigate this? And she said, your job is to focus on making sure that we have a roof over our head and our family is fed and there's income. Okay, great. Got that. She goes, I will wake up in the middle of the night. I will change diapers. I don't mind. Okay. And so we we had defined our roles, but not because we were like traditional, okay, you're going to be the mom and the nurturer and you're going to be the, 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 the breadwinner. It just, that's the way our roles were. And we were fine with that and it worked for us. And, but then there were times where she would go out and I would have all the kids and, and have a night, you know, she, cause she needs a night out too. Cause it'll make you crazy being a parent to five kids, but you figure out, you know, I, I like to say that marriages, at least mine does goes through seasons and and in those seasons, there are some times where you're sleeping next to this person and you're total strangers. And other times you're sleeping next to this person and they are your just incredibly close partner. And then other times you feel like you're dating and other times you feel like you just want to kill the person, right? But you go through these seasons in your relationship, in your marriage. And so over the course of all of these years of fostering and adopting and having our own kids, and we've gone through multiple seasons. And, but as long as you communicate 
at every step of the way. And as long as you're communicating your needs and you communicate clearly and from a place of love, you can overcome almost anything. So I, I, I love how you did the roles conversation and the expressed needs and all of that. But still, five children, how many businesses? Actively right now, three. And um, yeah, it, it's... Even, it's, if it's you are, if, even if you are the breadwinner and focused on your uh, businesses, I'm sure you took some part at home as well. It, it, yeah, I did. And, and, and there was a time. And so if I go back to 2017, there was a time where, so I had an office at the house as well. And I'm in the office and this business that I'm, that I'm running right now, Ad Zombies, w- I was really in an early stage growth phase. Like the business was just growing like mad. And I was working ridiculous hours, like 5 a.m. to midnight was normal, unintended, but normal. And, you know, when things start to grow rapidly, they get out of control sometimes. And this got out of control. And I remember sitting there in the office and Allison and I just had a moment. She was in one chair. She came in to just chat with me about something. And I was in the other chair and we just both started to cry because it was taking its toll on, on our family life. I, I wasn't present for them. I wasn't present for my kids. I wasn't present for my wife. I wasn't present for me. And I was just eating, sleeping and breathing work. And it wasn't because I wanted to. I felt a little bit like I was a prisoner of my own business. And it was that day that I think we realized that, okay, we've got to change some things and we need to start growing this thing smart and getting this stuff figured out. And and so we took the steps that we needed to, A, make sure that I didn't have an office in the house. That was really important. Because I couldn't have employees showing up to the house. That was really awkward. Like an employee would come to the house to, to get something or to do some work. Like, no, we can't do that. This is our home, not my business. And so the office was eliminated and we moved into an, a proper office. And we, we set boundaries for the work schedule. And not because she wanted to say, you, can, you must stop working at five o'clock. No, the boundaries were, listen, I've got to be a dad. We've got to have a family life. We've got to be able to, I've got to be able to shut off the, the work side of me. And so we have boundaries. And so at the end of the day, I leave here, I go home. Now, does the workday stop? No. When you're running a business, your day never really ends, but I don't have an office at the house anymore. So I'm not drawn into this magical room with computer screens. If I have to do something, I can grab my laptop, open it up, do it, close it, put it away right? It's no longer there and it's no longer accessible. So I, I create my own boundaries. We create boundaries together, but we also have a healthy respect for one another's needs. And so for me, I find work to be therapeutic. It doesn't feel like work to me. It's, it's part of who I am. So there's this work-life integration. I don't believe in work-life balance. I think that's bullshit. That's some like babble that people talk about, but I believe in work-life integration. If, it, if your business is part of who you are, it doesn't define you, but it's part of who you are, then you just figure out a way to integrate all of the things you do into your life and make it work. For my wife, she needs away time, alone time, time to ride the horse and literally ride the horse. We have a horse. And so, you know, barn time for her is critical and going out with her girlfriends. Like last week she had, she went out for a wine night with one of her girlfriends in, you know, beautiful outdoor patio restaurant. And they could sit there and and have a glass of wine because, you know, with the whole pandemic thing, like nobody's seeing anybody and people are really limiting 
um, their exposures, but okay, great. Here's a, here's a solution. There's an outdoor patio place where I can go have a glass of wine with my girlfriend. Awesome. Go. And so finding time for her to do those things, finding time for me happens during the day. This is therapy for me. I don't need a wait time. And this is my away time. So, you know, you just, I, I know I went long and probably went down a rabbit hole, but, you know, that's how my brain works. I actually so so agree with what you said about uh, the ba- the balance thing. And I think that basically, if you try to put only one element of life as highest priority, you you are you're destined to failure. Like what is it? Is it family? But what about health? Well, health definitely, health is important. You can't have a family without health. No. So like you need to work on your fitness, right? So you need to go and be alone and work on your fitness sometimes. But then you're not really with your family, but it's it's for health. And then like your family really enjoys certain things that cost money. Right. So where do you prioritize that? It's, it all interlocks. Who you are as a person is defined by, is affected by all of these things. 100%. So prioritizing one of them is just... Um, it's just not the, the right way. It's not fair for your family if you ignore the fact that your business is important and affects their lives. At the same time, it will, it's, it's totally unfair to forget your family needs and your wife's needs. It seems to me like you've been in a very long-term uh, communication relationship where you communicate your needs to each other and support each other and have, have a shared a partnership with roles. And like all of these good good things that we constantly try to talk about uh, in the Generous Marriage podcast with a, like the Generous Toolkit. You've been a natural practitioner of those things. And I think that's really, really powerful. I want to ask you, though, uh, if it's okay to go into like a little bit into the business side of things, because you, you've accomplished some, some feats that are quite, quite impressive uh, you, with your book and with your a uh, company at Zombies is, is a big agency now that supports a lot of other businesses. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you've mentioned that the growth was, uh, was very rapid and that must have been very exciting at the same time, also not easy for the family. Uh, can you give us a, a few tips from the world of a very busy entrepreneur that is uh, successful at what he does and if, even till to this day run additional two businesses, uh, like, like uh, I won't call it side hustles, but, but two additional businesses because they're, they're real businesses. How do you make sure that you feel supported and still manage to run this whole thing and be a family man? Well, I think part of it is having the air cover from my wife. Like literally, she supports me in doing what I need to do for our family. And so like, you know, for example, the day that we are doing this sit down, this conversation, I had to be in the office an hour earlier because I had a call with a vendor in Israel. I had to be in the office a full hour ahead. And because of that, I just said, oh crap, hun, I forgot to tell you this. I have this thing in the morning. No problem. I'll take our daughter to school. Okay, great. Are you sure? Yes. Gotcha. Perfect. So we communicate again. But having that partner who helps me just make sure that I, I am where I need to be when I need to be and supports that and supports the fact that, you know, before COVID, I, you know, my schedule was getting more hectic. I was traveling more, speaking at conferences, working with clients from my other business and traveling all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so she supports me in doing that because those things that I do are funding the circus, as we call it. 
there's a good friend of ours came up with that that expression. I just love it. So my job is to fund the circus. Her job is to manage the circus. And, you know, so and in the circus, we're all juggling. And so, uh, you know, work is is the juggle that I do. Now, I have to tell you, I'm a terrible juggler. So when I get to work, I'm fortunate that I have not only a great team, but like great support people right around me, you know, um, from my business partner, Brandon, who helps with the operational implementation of things to my director of creative services, Megan. She is like a rock star. I can't live without her. She's amazing. But I surround myself with people who support me in the areas that I'm weakest. And because you can't be great at everything. You're only going to be great at the things you're great at, and you're going to be marginally better at the things you're eh at. And so I don't work on the things that I'm like, eh, at, I work on the things that I'm great at, which is creative ideas. Those are the things that I'm good at. They come naturally to me. They, they're effortless, but ask me to create an SOP or ask me to create a standard operating procedure uh, for those that don't know what an SOP is, or ask me to create a, an Excel spreadsheet or to manage the business payroll. Like that's just not in my wheelhouse. And so I think part of it is the support at home, the other part of it is the support within the business. You have to have people that support you and that help lift you up in whatever position you're in. And, and ideally, you should be supporting them and lifting them up in their areas of weakness. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a day that goes by. Well, maybe there's a couple of days that go by where I don't thank Megan for the work she does. I adore her and she knows that. Same with Brandon. I, I constantly message him and you know, I think that, so it's a two-way street when it comes to having a successful business and growing, whether it's at home or in the office, you've got to surround yourself with people that support the dream. Yeah. It sounds like you're really great at creating cycles, uh, feedback loops of, of generosity, of support. I think so. And I think part of it is because I really do, it, it matters to me. I, people matter to me. I, you know, even in the simplest things like looking at our health insurance plans for next year, and going, okay, this plan is going to cost us more as a business, but it provides better coverage. I want that. I'm not going to skimp on that because it matters. If somebody has a, a, a real illness, if somebody has something traumatic, I would rather have better insurance because it matters to me. And I think that, you know, Megan just went on vacation. She and her husband went on a, a week-long vacation. And I, I said, you've got to take a break. You've got to take a vacation because she doesn't shut off. She's kind of wired like I am. And, and I wish she would turn it off more because I like when, when she turns it off, she comes back refreshed and her ideas are, are strong and right. And I think that that's healthy for everybody. And for me, it's very hard to turn it off because I just naturally go there, but she's like, she's that way too. And so I, I want to encourage people to take those breaks. I want to encourage people to refresh and recharge, but I really do care. And I think that's part of why it works. Uh, very powerful things. And uh, I think that building partnerships and relationships that, that uh, support you is, is really important. Just out of curiosity, because uh, like you've been creating an agency called Ed Zombies that helps people with uh, copywriting services. And I wonder, like, did your kid have anything to do with uh, like ideas for your business or with uh, even like, do you get them involved in any way? So n no, not in the Ad Zombies business. In fact, you know, if you look at the DNA of my kids, 
both both biological and adopted. They're all so uniquely wired. So let me just give you a quick uh, DNA of the kids. My oldest, Carter, is in his junior year at Arizona State University. He's pre-med. I have a son who's a football player who's a freshman in college. I have my high school daughter who plays soccer. And then I have Josie, who is an avid horseman, horse person. She rides horses and she's won um, a Western Gymkhana. So she's got the belt buckle and... You know, and then Owen is an avid fisherman at 11 years old. He loves fishing and just can't get enough of it. So they're each uniquely different. None of them are wired like me creatively. They're all very different in their creativity, but they're not wired like me. So they have no interest in this. In fact, the only thing that they like are the the zombie themed t-shirts that I wear. And my son Owen found this pen in the store and it's a zombie eating a leg and had to get it for me. And um, so they like all the cool things like the zombies behind me and the heads and the hand. Like I've got all sorts of weird stuff. That's the involvement that they have in the business. But the business started really as an accident. And I love sharing this story because I think sometimes you have this grand plan for what your business is going to be. And then something happens and you go, wait a second, I didn't even think of this as a business. And which is exactly what happened with ad zombies. I was in a Facebook group in March of 2017, March 6, 2017 is when this happened. And I helped a guy fix an ad that wasn't working. I literally rewrote the ad in the comment section of his Facebook post requesting help from anyone. And, and I find it interesting because I see it happening now with, you know, it, it, Facebook, it's a lot more, you see, when somebody asks for help, you get a lot of sarcasm and cynicism and hostility. And they're like, yeah. So people were beating up this guy because the ad was terrible. And they said, yeah, you're right. It sucks. Well, great. He's asking for help and you're not giving him help. You're just pushing him, you're beating him down. And so I, I just took the time to rewrite the ad. I shared why I rewrote it the way I did. And that was it. Within a few minutes, like 10 or 15 people said, Hey, where did you learn to write like that? This is awesome. And I just said, this is what I've been doing my entire career. I'm a creative director. I, I've been in the creative industry, you know, for 30 years, I, you know, so it's not for me, it's effortless, as, as I said earlier. And I made a very simple offer. I said, anyone in the group needing help, if you need help with your copy, if you're struggling to find the words, whatever, hit me up. Here's my email, DM me, happy to help you in any way I can. Because Ad Zombies was not a business at that point. Until March 6, 2017, Ad Zombies wasn't even a thought. And that weekend, I had over 100 requests, emails, direct messages, People were messaging me going, hey, can you fix this? Can you help me with that? Oh, I'd love to get some creativity in this. And so a business was born by accident. And that business started March 6, 2017 and went from zero to a seven-figure business in less than 700 days. Wow. Wow. That's quite a story. So, and that's it. I mean, you know, it's just sometimes the your best plans turn out to not happen and something that you never intended turns out to be your best plan. Wow, nice. it was. Wow, uh, we, we are close to running out of time and I think it will be, it will not be generous if we don't talk about the book. Uh, I really want to know the backstory of like, of that, if you don't mind. Sure. So I wrote a book out of pressure. And so I actually have it because I was, somebody mentioned it. So it's called Jab Till It Hurts. And 
it's how following Gary Vaynerchuk's advice helped me build this business, this seven-figure company. And it's honestly, if it wasn't for Gary Vaynerchuk, I don't think my business would be where it is today. And so let me explain. I, I don't need to go to the backstory of following Gary. Everybody knows who he is at this point. But I was following him early on when he had maybe uh, under a thousand followers on his YouTube channel. He was still doing wine stuff. So we had some context over the years. And when Ad Zombie started, Gary was, was growing, but still hadn't blown up. And I messaged him one day and I said, hey, Gary, I, I started this thing. Don't know where it's going. Next time I'm in New York, I'd love to have dinner with you and brainstorm or just kind of, I'd, I'd love to pick this apart because I don't know what to do with this thing. Well, his schedule was really starting to fill up at that point. And he said, hey, man, I can't, but I'm hosting a little dinner at City Winery. Would love to have you come. Great. So I wound up flying to New York had dinner with Gary and about 20 entrepreneurs. It was a very intimate dinner. In fact, that's where I met Rachel Peterson, who is um, a friend of mine and a social media TikTok expert, super cool woman. And we had dinner there. So I, I'm giving you that backstory because I think that's that's critical. One of the things Gary said to me at dinner was he recognized when we were having this conversation that I was not an entrepreneur I was not an operations person. I'm a creative. I live in the clouds and I live in the clouds and I have these entrepreneurial tendencies. As I said, I lean into entrepreneurship, but I'm not a full risk, full reward. I'm a, I'll dip my toe in the, in the risk pool. And, and he said, but you're not an ops guy. You need an ops guy to scale what you've built because, and the right person is going to see the opportunity and jump you know, go, hey, I, you've built this without an ops person. Yes, I can help you scale this. And so that's what happened. So that advice is how I built the business in addition to really deploying his tactics that he's been doing for years. Jab, 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 right hook, you know, give, give, give before you ask. And so I've spent a lot of time studying what he's done and how he's built successful businesses. And I literally put that blueprint to work for me. Well, what happened from that was the business started to grow and got built. As this was occurring, friends started going, dude, you've got to share this story. You've got to write this book. You got to, I'm like, I'm not going to write a book. I am not a fucking author. Like that is the last thing. Like I can write really witty ads and jingles, but a book is beyond my ability. But the pressure kept coming. And so finally, at, I reached out to Gary. He and I have a, a, an email exchange and you know we'll message each other every now and again. And I'm like, dude, can you give me the name of your, um, your ghostwriter? I, I need to get in touch with her. I, I can't write this book. He gave that to me. She was too busy to take on the project, hooked me up with someone else who was amazing. Laura Schaefer is one of the best ghostwriters out there. I love her. And she helped me really get the story written and out. And what the book is, is it really documents not just my journey into entrepreneurship. It really speaks to a very specific person, that person in their 40s or 50s who might be working in a job that they hate for a boss who's an asshole. And all they do is dream about doing their own thing and how to get there. Because I document every step of the way how I built this business. So it's more than just a theoretical, it's the actual application of the things that I did to take my business from zero to seven figures and beyond. And so that's really 
the, the story of how the book came to be and what the book is about. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes on generousmarriage.com for people that want to check out the book and want to learn more about you, Ken. Uh, we'll make sure that we're putting uh, uh, all the details correctly later on. Uh, we'll exchange some some thoughts about that, like Ed Zombies for sure that needs to be shown there because you help businesses grow and you help them affect people's life. And uh, you've been very generous uh, with all that you do with being open and transparent and sharing. And I just want to say uh, thank you for taking the time today for also showing us all of the, the journey long, this lifelong journey of building communicative uh, relationships with your, with your wife and uh, at the same time being able to grow at a an amazing great thank you i'm really i'm really thank you i'm really thrilled that i was able to join you guys because so typically when i'm asked to join things i'm always talking about only the business or only storytelling or only right and, and i never get to dive into this pull back the curtain on my life outside of the business and to me i think that that's so critically important to the function of a business is the family engine behind it yeah Thank you. And this was a really inspiring and touching story. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for listening for yet another episode of Generous Marriage Podcast. There's something waiting for you on generousmarriage.com right now. Um, something that we're preparing especially for you uh, at these episodes with Ken Moscovich from Ed Zombies. Uh, go to generousmarriage.com to check it out and see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.